Welcome to day two of Radio Lumi. Radio Lumi is a pop-up online radio station partnering with ISO Community Radio, available on Stream B, where you can enjoy Luminato's programs with the addition of our own artist interviews, emphasizing the blind perspective. Descriptive pre-show notes that will set up the visual landscape of what you're about to hear, and professional audio description for our blind and low vision audience, or anyone who enjoys not looking at the screen sometimes. With you today are myself, arts consultant and content creator Christine Malik, Ramia Amnuthan from Accessible Media Incorporated, audio describer JJ Hunt, and audio describer, producer, and performer Rebecca Singh. Today, we're going to hear Golden Hour. When the light is just right, you look at things differently. All the blemishes are washed in gold, and nothing is tired, nothing is worn. Everything is full of character, story, and life. This is Golden Hour. Golden Hour incorporates dance, song, and story, and today it's story that will be our focus. Presented in four episodes, Season 1 of Golden Hour is an essay on the mythology of Canadian culture. As presented through the lens of artist-curators, what have we lived and what have we been sold? Golden Hour simultaneously contributes to larger creative dialogues in the region and adds to the consciousness of the city. In Episode 2, that we're about to hear, three storytellers will tell. Curator and storyteller Jenny Laguerre, storyteller Courage Bacchus, and storyteller Diana So. I'm really personally intrigued by the interplay between the ideas of mythology and what have we lived, what have we been sold. Mythology can occasionally be dismissed as an irrelevant untruth that contradicts grittier experience, but I personally feel like myths have value. They aim to teach us about ourselves. Maybe they teach us about our hopes and fears, or maybe they speak to our best selves. As someone born in Canada and living in one of the most multicultural cities in the world, one thing I want to believe about Canada is that we're a country that welcomes newcomers with open arms and that values diversity. Is this a myth or is it true? Ramia, as someone whose family came to Canada more recently than mine, do you have thoughts about the tension between myth and truth here? Yeah, thanks, Chris, um, for giving me an opportunity to speak on this. It is really a, an interesting and thought-provoking question for myself because uh, I'm not a newcomer. I'd say I've been here for uh, well over two decades, close to three, but I was born in Sri Lanka and I settled here when I was two years old, so in the uh, early um, 1990s. And I lived and have been living and still do live Canadian, quote, air quotes, um, and it's because I, I find it hard to embrace uh, this, my part in diversity, you know, in, in, because I have brown skin, I have long brown hair, I have a, uh, a very uh, Tamil name, right? My name Ramya is this, uh, a very Tamil name, a brown name. And sometimes I find it hard. Now, obviously, as a kid and as a preteen and as a teenager, I found it quite difficult to kind of conform and also living as a person with a disability, a, a visual um, disability and having visual indicators of my disability that can also draw on how difficult it is. But really in all 
kind of terms, I felt that uh, I faced uh, oppression or I felt that, you know, isn't it, wouldn't it be better if I could just kind of blend into whatever it is, um, this Canadian life. So it, it was difficult for me to kind of own the part of my Hindu Tamil, Sri Lankan raised identity. Uh, and I felt that for a really long time. It's only quite recently, very, very recently, I'd say in the last five years or so, that I've decided consciously that I have a part to play in what Canadian is. And that is for me to be me, you know, with um, by noticing the internalized prejudice that I have uh, for myself, for my community, by noticing all these different things, these forms of oppression. And really, I, I use the word notice because it can be positive, it can be negative to to say, right, whatever it is. But I really just want to say that I've been noticing and coming to terms with and trying to embrace myself and my authenticity and what I can lend to to the diversity that we're supposed to to have here, but it can be complicated. It can be really complicated, and I I'll weigh more on it uh, as our conversation goes. But I'll pause there, and I just wanted to give a bit of a background on uh, why this question, Chris, when you posed it, I thought, wow, you know, it's true. It's true what we think is what's supposed to be Canadian uh, versus how we fit into that ourselves. I, I'm eager to come back to that in in the sense of. Is it different now for for a child who came, you know, at the age you came to Canada? Um, so I've, I want to definitely circle back to that. Um, JJ, you and I have talked a lot about multiculturalism, and I think some of the traveling you've done has helped you to think about that differently. Are we as Torontonians so smug that we think we invented it and we know what it looks like? Yeah, I, I I think we very much are. I love this this bit of mythology, right? That Toronto is one of the most multicultural cities in the world. I've always loved that bit of mythology, because for me, multiculturalism looks, sounds, and smells like Toronto, right? Multiculturalism is walking from a Polish neighborhood through an Italian neighborhood into a Korean neighborhood and ending up in Little India, right? Multiculturalism in Toronto is being on the streetcar, catching snippets of conversations in like whatever, Urdu, Portuguese, Tagalog, Patois, whatever. It's, it's walking through an apartment building and being overwhelmed by distinct aromas from different apartments. So I grew up with this, this idea, this myth of Toronto, the multicultural, and I, I had seen the evidence, I'd heard the evidence, I had smelled the evidence. So that mythology was clear and true. So true that the myth evolved for me, and I think maybe it's evolved for others too, that like you said, this into this strange understanding that somehow Toronto owned multiculturalism or we invented it, which is an absurd notion, as I found out when I went to Morocco and visited Casablanca for the first time. And in five minutes of being in downtown Casablanca, I realized that there was more than one version of multiculturalism. There in Casablanca, there were people from all over the world but they were from different parts of all over the world than I was used to. The sounds were different. The smells were different. And I realized for the first time, rather embarrassingly as a full adult, 
that multiculturalism doesn't have to sound or look like Toronto to be multicultural, right? There are different kinds of multicultural all over the world. And there have been different versions of multiculturalism in different eras and in different places, including on this land well before European contact, right? For me, this bit of mythology of Toronto the multicultural had morphed into a strange version of itself over time. And I think that's in large part because I liked the story so much, I didn't actually take the time to revisit it or reconsider it. And that's, that's, that's on me. I love that perspective because I'm very much a plant. Like I'm sort of rooted and I don't, I'm not, I'm an anxious traveler and, and I don't travel a lot. So to hear a different version of multiculturalism that's being lived in another part of the world is, is so enriching to me. Um, when I consider the question, what have we lived? I'm conscious of having always been a white person whose ancestors were settlers on land that used to be treated with a lot more respect uh, and care. Um, I'm also conscious that as a blind woman, I know what marginalization feels like. And fortunately, I know what inclusion feels like because my little corner of the world is is changing um, all the time for the better. Um, this is why I'm so eager to hear the stories of others. What have they lived in this country that is all of ours? Um, Rebecca, you had a great insight as someone who moved from Alberta to Quebec at a young age. Um, as someone who lives where I grew up, I just never think about old Canada and new Canada. But the issues we're talking about can be hugely regional. What changed for you? Or what did you notice when you moved east? Well, I think one of the biggest things was when I was growing up, I it was the the newness and, and the youth of um the country that I lived in was was sort of palpable. I mean, things were being built, the city was expanding. Um, you know, we were figuring out how to do things um, with a, a group of people who were, you know, from all over. Uh, and there was, you know, some of it could have been just, you know, my understanding of, of what it should have been like, uh, you know, as a as a young kid, um, in terms of what I was told, but there was a seat at the table for everyone. Now, when I moved out out east, I I moved to Montreal and um and I was in I was confronted with this idea of tradition and the way that things were because that's the way they had always been and always in in you know air quotes. Um and it really, it, you know, it really sort of twisted my um, my my understanding of of the fabric of the nation. In a sense, I had never looked to the east as something more valid or more Canadian than uh, you know where I was from, Edmonton. And um, I I it took me a really long time to sort of grapple with this concept that there is something less valid about people who have been here for less long and more valid, uh, you know, uh, ab about the what we, you know, infamously the old stock Canadians as um, uh, people who follow politics might remember. Um, and just the idea that, you know, you if your family has been here for longer, if you were not indigenous, that you have earned something, some kind of a birthright. Um, and I think that that was a really valuable lesson for me because it caused me to sort of think back on um, 
on privilege in a sense um in in my own context of of growing up which was which was very much a multicultural context um and it made me understand how just simple newness, how being, uh, you know, an immigrant, how being, you know, brown, how having a, um, having your your name be, you know, not Joe or Jack or what have you, uh, can can be seen as a strike against you before I experienced that in the workplace, before I experienced, um, you know, things like that sort of in a really firsthand um, uh, visceral way as I transitioned from, you know, being a teenager and into being a young adult. I had a bit of a reality check a few months ago because I had a a friend who moved to Halifax and she just kind of casually mentioned that in Nova Scotia, it's common to refer to Ontarians as Upper Canadians. And I was so startled by that. I've just been on my mind ever since as an indicator that uh, I really am a plant. I'm I'm located where I am and and I don't know a lot even about our own country and the, the traditions that families grow up using or the language that families use to talk about um, new Canadians or people from other parts of Canada. Um, JJ, where do you think the myths in our own families uh, as settlers or families who came here as new Canadians um, fit into the national myth? Like what do families tell themselves about that process? Yeah, that's it's, that's a really interesting relationship. The relationship between the myths that we have, uh, mythologies of our nation, or our country, those big picture narratives, but also the, the and and the myths that we have on a family level, right? The relationship between those two is really interesting. It seems to me that somehow those two myths have to jive with one another in some way, shape, or form. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons it's it might be really difficult to acknowledge that a big picture myth is wrong because to acknowledge that the big picture myth is wrong means you have to rewrite your personal narrative too and vice versa. So for me and my family, part of the mythology in my family is that in one generation, we went from a a family of children living in urban poverty to a thriving group of successful siblings, each with their own middle-class family, right? And that mythology of my family is linked to the mythology of Canada, right? With hard work and determination, you can make something of yourself in Canada. But the the fact is, there are some very important elements that those mythologies don't cover, right? Like the fact that all of those siblings were cis white people with no disability challenges. And that made an enormous difference, especially in that era. And the fact that those siblings already had a a network of family and friends that were living in Canada, that was also invaluable. And the fact, frankly, that they were able to buy property when it was cheap and that ownership of land in Canada is mired in an ethical quagmire, right? To be honest, it's hard to know how to deal with with the my family history, my family story, my family mythology, because it's because of all these intertwined narratives, right? There are truths in the myth of my family, right? Members of my family did work hard and they have every right to be proud. And Canada can be an opportunity, a country of opportunities, right? Just because those elements of the myth of the myth are true, it doesn't mean that things that are left out of the myth 
are untrue, right? Like privilege or inequitable distribution of resources and opportunities. So for a lot of us, we're learning how to unpack these narratives and mythologies on a personal level, but I think it's important that we do that both on a personal level and a national level at the same time, because they're so intertwined. Especially um, in June of 2021, uh, I've been thinking about my uh, father's parents who became farmers in Western Canada. And when I grew up and heard about that, no one ever said that land was taken or that land used to belong to somebody else or any of the horrible things that are behind that. It was only the story of the adventure and the the hard yeah. work. So um, in Golden Hour, when we consider the question, what have we been sold? Um, of course, the implication in the question is how have we been misled, especially in the past year, uh, we've, if you're white, at least you've, you've grown up with the idea that race isn't a factor in our safety and opportunities day to day. We've, we've been sold on that. And that's something we've been, you know, face confronting in a new way in the past year. We've been sold through our mythology as a country that Europeans arrived in a sparsely populated place and opened reasonable negotiations with the people who were here already. Um, Ramia, how do you feel the selling of this myth plays out in cultures of new Canadians, um, of families who come here from other parts of the world? Um, how did you and do you experience these stories, um, some true and some not so much? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm having uh, so many moments of conscious realization, really, as all of you are speaking, and as I'm uh, you know, thinking about the real answers or the underlying stories, um, or sorry, truths behind the stories and under what we've been told and sold. And, you know, as a, as a person who comes from um, South Asia, there's a lot of things that we may not talk about here now presently um, in uh, within amongst cultures, amongst multiculturalism. But one of these examples is the caste system. You know, I come from uh, Hinduism, which is highly, highly influenced by the, the caste system in Sri Lanka and in India and other parts of South Asia. And the thing is, you know, we don't talk about it as if the caste system, you know, it's, it's just like inert, like you don't really talk about it, you know about it, maybe generationally others will talk about it. I'm telling you that my friends and I, my age, uh, that I have who have similar background with the caste system don't really talk about it verbally because we have uh, extremely varying beliefs, or at least I do, than uh, my parents or my grandparents or generationally people who came before me. But it's I can link it back in some ways with the, the privilege conversations that I'm realizing more and more these days, right? Where, you know, you could talk about Canada being a place of opportunity. And uh, we've come from a war-torn country. There was a lot of civil war in Sri Lanka and a lot of uh, the, the, the struggles that people went through. And, you know, you, you've escaped 
and come to Canada and come to Toronto, especially um, it being this multicultural place that it is, etc. This, this is a story that we've been told, right? This is what my parents have told me. You're so privileged, so much privileged for you to be here in Toronto. You're not there where we were and you didn't work the hard work that we've had to. And this kind of thing um, is what shapes us, right? And Honestly, as a as a person with a disability and as a person who has been back to Sri Lanka to see the kind of environments that people live in or the lack of access, uh, the lack of resources that people face over there in my who have my condition, such as low vision, but also with mobility disabilities and other disabilities, uh, I could come from a place that I've realized the privilege that I have here. But at the same time, you know, I question a lot. I question a lot of the things that I've been told. And and really, I'm speaking from a place where I'm not even sure of half the things where the truth is underneath all these stories. I'm not even sure because I've just been told so much. And the community, the, the Tamil community, um, has a very strong storyline going. Right. Like we have such a a strong foundation of stories and if you want to call them myths, but really just what they've told to us and what's been passed down to us as this is the reason why we're in Canada and this is why we deserve to be here or thank goodness we're here or whatever the the spin is. But honestly, um, I, I, I have to dig deep to find out what's behind all that. And I don't even have the the, uh, the the kind of knowledge that I want to have, that I know I'll have once I keep going with this, right? So the conversations that I have with people from my community is just so uh, unique. Like, it's so unique to me, my identity, and how I'm trying to unravel all these different threads of what's being told. And uh, we've been wrapped into all of this, but it's not necessarily all that there is to be. And maybe that's, it's not even um, close to what's there to be. There's so many layers. There's so many layers. Um, Rebecca, you're the mom of a, a, a young child. What's in your consciousness when you try to explain to him about his home city, his home country, and those the kinds of ideas that we've been talking about? Yeah, I, my son is five years old and just is really curious about the world and able now to understand, um, you know, different traditions and ceremonies and, um, you know, and is attending kindergarten where they, they, they do talk about um, different things that are happening, you know, in, in, in the world. And, uh, um, and it's, it's really been a process of negotiation to try and figure out, especially in the last year, you know, like, how do I want him to live with some of the the facts that, you know, the truths that we've known are, aren't true. So, for example, his favorite character is, um, he, you know, he loves this animated cartoon. And, you know, one of the characters is, is like a police dog. And, you know, and just with, with what's happened over the last year, uh, in terms of like, what does it mean? Like there, you know, there was this thing built up around um, uh, around sort of policing. And I, I, so I've been really, really going into a, an exploration of what is going to create a 
a person who will will question in a healthy way some of the things that we have taken for granted because i think that's necessary and i think that as a as a, a culture here in Canada, we're evolving and we're growing. And some of it is, I, I, I just, I want to believe this. Some of this might be, you know, a little bit um, hard or even, you know, painful, one might say. But um, it's important for me to not take the easy root and to not just say, you know, this is good and this is bad, because we know that's not the case. And I think that in order for um, in it just I, I just feel really a deep sense of responsibility in order for the next generation to be what we hope it will be, you know, and not to sort of um, continue to perpetuate white supremacy and um, and to to um, squash indigenous culture and, you know, all those efforts that, you know, I, I, I wish I could do more of, I, I filter that, you know, into how I try and parent. Um, uh, it can be very hands off simply by making him aware of certain things. Um, and, and also sometimes choices of exposing him to some things. Like when he was four years old, he explained gender theory to me. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I love it. You know, like <laughs> it's also just that acknowledgement that this is a community and we are part of a community effort and I need you and you need me all together. We are, we are the best. So, uh, yeah. So th- that's, that's definitely, um, where, where my head is at is eyes open and it might be the hard, harder route. Um, but let's move forward together. I wonder if every generation feels this way, but it feels so much like we're at a crossroads right now. And I really take my hat off to parents of young kids because it's a lot to navigate and we've got our own stuff and trying to teach kids um, a different way. Um, These complex truths and untruths, I think they bring us back to mythology. And now that these difficult and textured things have been said, where does that leave mythology? And this is how we come back to story, which is where we're going. Uh, Stories, they allow us the complexity that may just allow us to hold different kinds of truth. And I hope that in Golden Hour, maybe each of us will find something that's true. I'd like to thank our panel participants for a lively and deep conversation. Rebecca, JJ, and Ramia, thank you so much.